Today's Wednesday. It is uh, it's June twenty fourth, two thousand twenty. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We pray that uh, you will give us wisdom as we approach your word. We thank you for uh, providing the word of God, even down to this age we live in, where we can trust it as well. We can depend and hang our life on the very things we find there. And we pray for this body as well, and we pray that your spirit will lead and guide and direct us into all truth. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, Amen. so our normal study is in uh, Romans chapter 8 at this time. Uh, I think we're just about looking at verse uh, 15, uh, probably finishing up 15 into 16. But uh, we have some time for some Q&A, and I wanted to open the floor. All right, so this is a spinoff from Sunday. Uh, John, this question comes, you know, when you were talking about the spirit, uh, spirit's influence in the believer's life and love. Mm-hmm. So it comes out of, uh, the question I have is, comes out of Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Actually, this whole verse is, you know, and I've, I've looked at the commentaries, so I do know what the commentaries said. I just wanted to hear what your take was on. Specifically, I'm going to ask the first question about groanings. And we know that the, we know that the Lord is talking about prayer uh, when he's talking about, uh, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The wordless groans, this is the NIV. Yes. So I don't know, I don't know what the other interpretations. And then 17, or 27 says, and he searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit that he, I'm assuming, is the Father, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. Yes. So I did check the commentary. So I know what the commentary said and about groanings. Uh, most of them settle on how we pray ignorantly, or selfishly, or narrowly. In other words, our prayers, we don't know how to pray and what to pray for. And the Spirit communicates with the Father, which really got me going because this tells me the trinity and the harmony in there in other words the the way they communicate this was this is so phenomenal in the in the in the believer who's a son who we are sons of god in his behalf so i see that this, this these verses there's a lot in these verses but anyway my basic question is i just wanted to know what your interpretation was of groanings. Yeah, Romans 8.26. Yeah, that, um, the groanings, or... Or groans. Groans, uh, but when it says wordless, uh, I think the King James is where I studied it out of, which is, it talks about, uh, let me see, Romans 8.26. Yeah, it's, 
Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groans, which cannot be uttered. That's where they say wordless, right? NIV says wordless, but it is... NIV says wordless. I don't know if that's the best translation. That's an interpretation of, uh, of what that word is. But the word literally does mean... It says wordless, which is not bad. I guess you could understand it that way. But it means it cannot be spoken. That's what it means. Cannot be spoken. One of the... One of the translations was uh, approaches or appeals to an acceptance with God's will. Um, I don't know. That was something I got out of the commentary. So here's here's what I, I get out of this. There's some things, because I remember studying this a long time ago, because people used to say that this was tongues. This was praying in tongues. And... Uh, yeah, that is clearly not that. And it is not that, right? So, but what is it then? So let's, we don't have to go through the reasons why it's not praying in tongues. Uh, if that is, uh, we, can, we can move past that. Let's just say what it is. So there is a ministry of the Spirit that he takes up on our behalf. And this is interceding for us. So, so if somebody's interceding for you, they are representing you. And what is he representing us for? Because there are things that he knows about us that um, the Father needs to know. And, and so what he does is he takes those things that we don't know. This is why it says here, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So the weakness is we, we don't know what we ought to pray for. So if we don't know what we ought to pray for, how are we going to pray for it? It's not anything we do. It is the Holy Spirit assessing what we need to pray for. What we need to address the Father with. So this is a behind-the-scenes ministry. We don't know how it works. But the language that is spoken of here as groans is a language that is used between God the Holy Spirit and God the Father. So, it says it's not able to be uttered or spoken. We don't have the capacity or capability to speak those words. The Holy Spirit is expressing our deepest needs and weaknesses to the Father. So, without even knowing this is going on, it is what we call comprehensive care. God, the Holy Spirit, the more we find the, about Him, the more we understand the nature of who He is and what He's trying to do in our lives. And we are surrounded by care and love. When, it, when you think about all that God has done for us as sons, this is part of it. So we, now when we get to the, to, to, when we go to heaven uh, or we are done with time, this is a battlefield thing. And we're done with time. We will be face to face with the Father. And we'll be directly able to communicate to him. And there won't be any need for weakness and ignorance on our part. So it's not anything that we have to think about in the eternal state because we'll have whatever is needed 
And remember, we'll still have the ministry of the Spirit being our capacity and competence. But when it comes to this, we are on the battlefield. And we ought to know that there's a lot of things going on here that we are often unaware and we are often attacked, besieged, and this is not a place where we should want to grow up healthy because this is the battlefield. There's all kinds of things happening. There's a spiritual warfare going on. So we're in the middle of it, and God the Holy Spirit is taking up the battle on our behalf. Now, you just imagine how integrated the Holy Spirit is with us, that he is even representing us to the Father. This is things we need, which we don't know about, but yet he's taking those things to the Father, and he's representing us so that whatever cover we need or whatever uh, access we need, or whatever it is, whatever protection we need, God the, God, the Holy Spirit is making sure that we have divine authority down here. And that's, and now obviously when we think about the divine authority, it is not for us to go out and uh, do whatever we want, come up with our own agenda. It is to fulfill the Father's purposes. And it's just like those scriptures where it says, ask whatever you want, whatever you want, and I will do it, right? Well, you can ask whatever you want, but some of your asking is going to be from the sin nature, and it's going to be where you're not abiding in Christ. I can't imagine that down that you're going to be able to ask whatever you want, and you're going to get it. There's the condition with that. And the condition is that we are adhering to, following the Father's plan. If we're not, then what are we doing down here? Are we just here for ourselves? To promote our brand? Or are we here to promote what the Father's plan is? So all of this is synchronized when we think about the Father's plan. It is God the Holy Spirit providing cover. And it says in our weaknesses, in our ignorance, he's providing cover to the Father on our behalf. And then it says... Now, these are literal, literal analogies given so that we understand how it works. But in reality, this is, these are metaphors. Like verse 27, listen, God, the Father, already knows the mind of the Spirit. He doesn't have to search it, right? The searching part is for us to understand how they work, that they are thorough, right? It says, and we know... Uh, he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. And this because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. So this is part of the ministry, part of the job that he is slated to do. And, and we are uh, the one who benefits in this world so that we can continue walking and growing in grace and living the life. You know, all of this is a part of the ministry of Spirit. It is powerful. I must say, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It is powerful. And well, just to note, it is for us, but it is not necessarily about us. 
I mean, it could be that you die a martyr on the battlefield. It could be that you die in a battle on a martyr, as a martyr on the battlefield. It could be that you live to a long age, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, whatever God chooses for you in your path, then uh, it is up to us just to, to walk it. God, the Holy Spirit is there, right with us, seeing eye to eye what we see so that Christ can live our, our lives. So I'll pause. You know, Doug, it does in uh, Romans 8, 27, it doesn't say he searches the Spirit's heart. He says he searches our hearts, and he knows the mind of the Spirit. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's they're all working together. Yeah, it uses that same analogy in 1 Corinthians 2 where it says the Spirit searches the mind of the Father, you know. But really, those functions are for us to understand that the Spirit knows deep down what the Father is thinking, right? We, we can get that thought. It's just more of a metaphor. So, like, we might have search on our computers, right? So we don't have to, lit we have to literally go through and type the thing in and search and see what comes back, right? Uh, they don't have to do that, right? But I think these are just metaphors to help us understand God in human terms. God is much more intelligent than that. But if you want to break it down, let's break it down. Let's make sure we understand what's going on here. Go ahead. I'm sorry I cut you off. And also, uh, Doug, I guess this would fall under the sealing ministry of the Spirit, what we're talking about. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, the sealing ministry is one of those things where, where we do, in fact, we're going to talk about that, right? So it is one of those things where we have the familial cognizance of who we are right and when we say that we're saying that we belong right we we're connected right? yeah. so there's 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 a thing in this that says not only does or or can we agree in faith with all that the scripture says about us this is more reciprocal where god says okay so you you following along, you understand, I told you all this about yourself. Now, I want to give you something more tangible. So you know, not just I, I know in faith and uh, I know when I get to heaven and I know that you know that you belong. And when I think about that, you know, I think about an, I think about an orphan and, uh, and I know the adoption scenario that we have is Roman-style adoption. <clears throat> but, but this sealing ministry is where I think about American-style adoption, <laughs> where it's not your parents, but somehow your parents are not there, and then you have to be adopted by some foster parents. And these foster parents do everything they can to make you feel like you belong, you know, but you really know you don't belong. But this is sort of like an inward testimony to us that 
So it's just like if, if they had the original son, that foster parents had an original son, and they that son had all the love and care and concern, even the little nuances that let that son know that their parents are watching over them and they're part of the family and they belong forever and so forth. Somehow they are, God was able to put that assurity, that, that confidence within us so that we feel like, even though we're adopted, we're not, you know, original sons. We're in the family, but we're sort of like implanted in the family. God says, I want you to have the same loving, caring concern that we have for you, that you belong to this family. And, and that's what that sealing ministry does. It gives us that, like, I belong. I'm a son. I'm, I am a son. This is my destiny. And if you look everywhere that we've been talking about, that is what is touted. That is the big deal of all of this. And we even said, well, what is uh, God's eternal purpose in a nutshell? To bring many sons into glory. Sons. So we need to understand what that sonship means and the extent of it. And, and, and that's where this whole thing develops when we talk about it. So the sealing ministry. Also, what else is it? We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Right? And look at Romans 8.23. It says, not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. So why are they groaning inwardly? As we eagerly await, eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship. So there is something in you that once you realize you have it, that you long for it. This is what you, this is your destiny. And the, the next thing in your life is to fulfill this part of it, what the redemption of your bodies, right? Once it's complete. So when we think about the Apostle Paul, and Paul was making those statements, and he was saying, man, it's, I'd, I'd rather depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Well, Paul understood the sealing, the sealing, sealing, sealing ministry of the, the Spirit is how Paul could have consciousness on the other side to know that that it would be far better and he's 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 comparing hey i got all this suffering and turmoil and i go from place to place they're chasing me you got all this stuff going on uh, yeah yeah i could this is your will for me i'm on the battlefield but hey being with christ far better so you so it's the same thing. It's like repenting. It's another way we looked at this. So if, we, if you repent, if you truly understand how it is the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's not just, hey, you know, I'm going to change my mind about that bad thing because I'm sorry about it. It's when you see something good. When you see the good, the truth, then you are able to turn your back on that which you depended on, that which was your experience for long years past history. And you're able to, to make that pivot into repentance because you saw something good. Because you're weighing now what you have in your hand, what you 
deemed to be false, what you realize is not truth, what the light has been turned on, now you can see what it is, and now you're looking at the reality. True repentance is turning away from that, now saying, okay, now I want I want this in my life. Now, will, will there be a perfect walk? No, because you might still have bad habits where you got to link what you're thinking to your walk. But eventually, you work that out through. God will, will give you opportunity to live according to what you've learned. So, I'm just giving a bunch of analogies here, but that sealing ministry, that's what it does. It tells you that that's who you are. Now, of course, you could say that, and when we talk about who you are, then this is where we need time to let the scriptures just settle over us. Right? It takes time for us to come to learn it first. And you learn enough of it, you get to the point where you understand it, and then you begin to believe it. And this, is, this becomes part of who you are, your destiny. It invades your identity. So that you realize you're not just here for yourself, but your son. You're part of a greater plan that the Father had from eternity past. And this is why when we started in John, I wanted to talk about John 17. <laughs> so <laughs> I just wanted to talk about it because that's where I felt we needed to be. Because guess what we were going to talk about in John 17? That sonship, the plan, how human history fits into the Father's plan. So what we've done in this whole scenario is we try to work backwards. We try to figure out how God fits into human history, how, how the Father's plan fits into human history. Like, how do we integrate it in our lives and see it as this is what is going on? But no. John 17 takes it from a perspective of God, and it says human history is just, it's not the end all. It's the Father's plan that's the end all. Uh, I, I, we'll get back more to that, but ultimately, it helps you see yourself out. It's, it's like stepping outside of yourself and looking at you, and you can see it from God's perspective. So, but you know what? One day we'll be there and we'll be able to talk about those things in that way. Just like that. Just like it's, just like Jesus was talking to the Father from eternity past. And he was relating to his Father these things. Put yourself there. And, and, the, and, and as though you were a fly on the wall and be, be able to understand what was going on. So that is... And that, so all of it starts with that sealing ministry where even though you know it, this is where it says, you know, he gives you something tangible. It's just like the deposit, like we talked about. What is the deposit? Well, it's that. It's the Holy Spirit. And why is it tangible? Because God breaks through into your consciousness. He literally... Like right now, you know who's there with you? Well, you're going to know what it means to be a son. You're going to have the identity solidified in your soul, who you are. Now, 
does it doesn't mean you can't be deceived it doesn't mean no all that is is part of it you know of the growing process but this is one of the ministries of god the holy spirit that he promises we have really all i've done is literally read to you what the scripture says and so it is up up to us if we haven't haven't seen it then it is for us to see i'm going to pause because it is I've gone on for quite a while. Well, actually, that goes beyond what I originally thought and even expounded past that. So, thank you. Um, I know that, uh, you know, Sunday, you're you're talking about, uh, you know, truth and uh, an accumulation of truth. And, uh, you know, I guess love, and you talk about reciprocal love, um, in, in, in concert with uh, learning uh, what God says and what, it, what he has for the church. And uh, all this goes together because love is, is truly a motivation uh, to do God's will. It certainly plays a part. Yeah, I think so. I mean... In- one of the things I want you you to see and others who hear this and you know it is not so much of what we say you know what we're teaching here it really it is being able to show that the scripture does in fact teach these things so what you get out of this should not just be this is what I believe and and boy did I say some things that were uh, outside of what I would have thought and this and that. Whatever I teach, whatever it is that I say has to be open to the critique of the scriptures. If it can't be found in the scripture, if it can't be taught in the scripture, if it can't be linked up through what the scripture is teaching, then it's of no value. Because trust me, the world, there's many voices out there. And the most important thing you have here is the documentation for the things that we say. So if somebody comes up and says, hey, well, let me tell you about this, th- this new theology. And, uh, first thing we're going to want to know is where are you getting that from? If they say they had a dream or a vision, well, then we know. But if they say it's the word now and the word has been established, Confirmed to us by signs, wonders, and miracles. We know that that's from God. Now, you telling me you got it from the Word? Show me how you understand it from the Word. See? So, this is what our opportunity is. And I don't think uh, we have a lot of people talking about the things we're talking about. Now, forgive me if there are, and I just am ignorant about it. But as far as I can see, there's not a whole lot of people talking about the things we're talking about. Okay, so we got some uniqueness there. But more than that uniqueness, we better be able to document why we say these things. If we can't do that, then we, we, we might as well shut up. Because then we're just another voice in the wind. So we have to be able to document this stuff. And you could get excited about it and say, man, I'm this. But if you don't have the back of it. The understanding of where it comes from, the word, and how it it says it and why it says it and 
and how he links it to, you know, all that we take to our time painstakingly going through week after week to make sure, repeating and going over it again and making sure, here, here, here it is from another angle. All of that is so key to what we do so that you come away with, not just I know it's there, but let me show you how I know it's there. Let me show you the documentation for the things that we believe. If we get away from that, and it's just my imaginations, well, and I expect, I expect that you and others here will call me on it and say, Doug, you said this, this thing here. How do you get that? Where do you get that from? Like, what scriptures do you use to support that? Right? I need, I need that kind of uh, conversation. Right? That needs to be our conversation so that we, uh, you know, look at this thing, not just what I said, because nobody is above what the scripture says. So everybody has to adhere to that. Now, I know if I know the scriptures more than you do, let's just say, then I might have an upper hand in that. But it doesn't mean that you can't learn it. And that's what we're doing here. And then, even if you learn it, and you, you don't think that my logic in it is, the same, is sound, you can call me on that. You can say, here's why I believe. Because it all boils down to logic, right? That's what it was. It's not just my logic. It's the spiritual logic that the scriptures teach us in context. And I don't know how many times we've gone over it, you know, and and been able to extract from the context what God is actually saying, then make application to it. You know, how do you do that? How does people? How how can people people mistake it? Right? They we all have the scriptures. We could say the scriptures are the facts. But we don't all see the facts the same way. Why is that? It's because of God the Holy Spirit. And you can see, without God the Holy Spirit, wow, look at the broad directions that people go in when they read the scriptures. It's like, wow, where did you get that from? How did you get that? Especially when it says right here in the next verse this. And yet, people come up with it. They depend on it. They believe it. They like it when it's so far off track from what the facts are. We, and, and it's interesting, we all start out with the same scriptures. But it's the difference, it's God the Holy Spirit. And as, you know, I can't, I'm not in control of that. It is, has to do with the person, their humility. There's a lot of factors. So we don't have insight into other people's motivation. So what all we can do is Make sure we know that we are teaching, rightly dividing the word of truth, making sure we are teaching what the scripture says. That's where, if there is any advantage that we have, that's what it is. It is not going to be your personality, how motivating and emotional you are. None of that. Well, I can tell you what, none of that moves me. (laughs) What moves me is the word. When I see it there, it is like God is teaching me directly. I don't even need anybody to see it. And what God does is he flushes it out. With you guys, I get opportunity to hear your thoughts, 
hear how you respond to what the teaching says. And, and then I get from you even more understanding. Uh, sometimes it's directional, so I get to pivot if I have to. So this is interesting. So it all leads somewhere. That's why I say don't, of all, of all the things that you get, make sure you get the understanding of how we got this in the first place, right? More importantly, of what somebody says is why they say it, where are they getting it from, or what's their documentation for saying such things. If it can't be substantiated in the word, right, then I'm sorry, I'm not inclined to believe it. I just don't believe it. If the word doesn't teach it, I know the word has been established. And uh, people have gone in all kinds of different directions. So since we're already talking about uh, Romans, that's where we are, in fact. <laughs> we're in Romans. We're back up a little bit here to, hopefully that answers your questions, uh, Fred, a little bit. We, we can certainly continue to discuss it. Yeah, but so let's go right where we are in Romans eight fifteen. Just happens to be this is what we're talking about right here. So the Spirit, verse fifteen, you received. And we said when do we receive at Pentecost, right? And when do we, since we weren't at Pentecost, when do we receive it? We receive it the moment we believe in Christ, right? By one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So. How come you receive the Spirit? We could just ask the, the questions. Why? Because we were chosen in Him before the creation of the world. That's why we are here to receive the ministries of the Spirit that are available. Okay, so we receive, it does not make us slaves. Now, of course, we could talk about slaves a lot, right? And what, how the sin nature ruled over us and how we lived in fear of God, right, because we thought, you know, we were going to be lost and all of that. Uh, but in the, the, the direction of this is given in the scriptures so that we live in fear again. So, so we, we don't have to come up with other analogies of what slavery would, would uh, cause in us if we did not receive the Spirit. So we can know that he's referring to the fact that we lived in fear. Right? And there was fear once. Now, the interesting thing is uh, the fear that I would probably relate you to is like what happened to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. Right here, where Paul realized that he was lost. And this is what he said in verse 23. Uh, well, 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So it's one thing to be <clears throat> in your sin nature, right? And that's that's the what's comfortable for you. Like you don't realize that you're dead in your transgressions and sins like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath that's ephesians 2 that it's one thing where you i don't think people recognize that that is their condition where it says there's none who seek god there's none who do good there's not even one none is righteous 
right? They're all, their mouths are like open graves. There's no fear of God before their eyes, right? All of that is where people have resisted God, but God has shown up in their lives. And this is what it leads to when God does show up in your life. Here's what it leads to, Paul says. I see this is going on inside me now. And then in verse 24 where he says, uh, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? So, so those two verses, I see another law at work in me. So people who have no humility toward God and don't recognize the bad news they don't cry out for a savior because they don't think they need saving. They don't really understand the condition that they are in, that they're really lost. So but Paul understood that condition. Imagine if there was no help for Paul. When he says, what a wretched man I am, what a miserable person I am. Imagine if there was no help there was no Christ on the horizon to save him. And he would have to know that that's the state he was in. He's, he's seeing that every time he tries to do good, God has these high standards. Every time I try to reach him, I can't. I'm, I always find myself in sin. I always do the wrong thing. That's what he says. Uh, even I realize it's not even me who does it anymore. It's the sin, this is verse 17, but it is sin living in me. So he, he recognized, he got, he, he got it, right? He knows about that fear and what it does inside of him. And he says he's miserable, wretched. And, and he understands his, the frailty of who he is. So here... Back to Romans 8.15 is where we're seeing uh, so that we live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit... So, so imagine, what he's getting ready to tell you is the opposite of the assurance of sonship that we just talked about earlier. It's the opposite, right? So we, we just went from confidence, the assurance, the knowledge, the identity, right? Here, he realizes what the life is. Uh, on the other side of that, which wretched fear, worry about who he was before God, right? All of that. So, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you re received, this is what the quality of the spirit you receive does. It doesn't just bring about salvation. And I know a lot of people would look at this in terms of salvation. They only see salvation because the deeper things of God are hidden from them. So everything that's in the Bible, that if it's really good, then there's really, the salvation is really good. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to talk to people about what are the deeper things. I remember years ago, I used to study and I used to see the distinction of these things, and it was very clear to me. So I would go out and ask people, I was just, well, hmm, what do you think the deeper things the Bible talks about? What do you think those things are? Just let people say, and this is don't, don't accuse them, and don't try to use this as an opportunity to teach them. 
but it's just for your information. What do you think that is? Now, of course, if they pin you down, well, and they say, well, what do you think it is? Okay, now you got an opportunity to talk about it. Right? And I think it's a good lead-in to, to assess where people are. But most people will resort to salvation, how glorious salvation is. Oh, just to be in that number. Oh, just to have uh, the righteousness and his white robe covering me and on and on, right? Uh, I, I've heard it. And they take these same scriptures. Oh, to be adopted into now I'm a child of God. And, you know, but it all boils down to what a glorious salvation we all have. But these scriptures go way beyond that. This is why they are in the category of deep things. And boy, when people try to interpret these things in some other ways, what a mess they make of them. So in this case, uh, this, the spirit we received, brought about adoption to sonship. Just the understanding of that right there is to say now we belong we're sons. Now, if I, I didn't even, we could even break it down and say, what, a, what part of, of the Spirit, uh, what part of the Spirit's ministries would it be that brought about sonship? So we could say it's a couple. Right? The one key one that you already know is probably at the top of your mind is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That, the, the, by virtue of the, we already quoted the scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which says, by one Spirit, are we all baptized into one body? There's that oneness. The baptism of the Spirit brings us the identity with Christ. We share his identity. That is what that accomplishes for us. Whether we know it or not, that's the deal. That's who we are. And that's what the Spirit brought for us. You might say the Spirit brought righteousness, justification, eternal life, uh, you know, salvation, right? We could say all those things, but that is not what this is saying. This is saying the Spirit brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, if you, if you don't understand what that is, it is not the same thing as salvation. Now, obviously, saved people are the only ones who could possibly experience adoption to sonship. Only saved people could experience this. But not saved people of all ages. This is not for saved people of all ages because the spirit we received is referring to something that happened at a point in time. And as we know, it is Pentecost, AD, circa AD 33. So we know that this is very specific information for us. And most scholars would agree, those Bible theologians, that Pentecost is when the Spirit's ministry began. They just don't all agree on what that ministry is or how, all the details, but they all agree, most of them, that something magnanimous happened at Pentecost with the coming of God the Holy Spirit. This is it right here. And it's brought about your adoption to sonship. We talked about a Roman-style adoption last week. And it is regal, I must say. We're, we're not talking about an average person experiencing such a thing. We're, I mean, imagine this, right? It's like saying, how many times um, uh, 
has this country sworn in a president? And that, that is not a thing that happens where we, you know, what they call it, the, uh, the, the, the passing of power. I forget what, the actual term. But there needs to be, one admin, from one administration to the next, there needs to be a transition of power. And there's a ceremony that we go through where that new president has to stand before all those people, right? And then he puts his hand on a Bible, or you know, which I've learned it doesn't have to be a Bible. But he puts his hand on a Bible and, um, and he swears to uphold the Constitution of the United States, blah, 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 all this stuff. So there's a transfer of power, literally, during that ceremony. Is that a common thing? No, it's not a common thing. For us, in this country, it happens every four years. And prior to that, it didn't even happen every four years. That was some law they put into place. But th that transfer of power is not for the common person. We could all just say that. And when Paul uses adoption here to sonship, he's not talking about something that was common in that day for the common person. And remember, who are the recipients of this adoption to sonship? It's not rulers. It's people who are going to succeed in, in the, the transition of the power of the Roman emperor who, who Rome ruled the world at that time. Or, the, or let's just say Rome was the greatest power in the world at that time. So no, it, but guess what? Most people understood it. But most people weren't the recipients of adoption. They were most people weren't even considered as candidates for recipients of adoption. It, it, it was not a common thing. But, but when it says in in the in Christ, there's uh, neither Jew nor Greek, slave. Now we were all those things. We were Jewish. We were, but in Christ, we are all now one. So we're talking about. Anybody who is in this age who believes in Christ, we receive the Spirit simultaneously and it brings about your adoption to sonship. Literally, this is a game changer for us. We, the power we talked about, that's what this adoption refers to. That all the power and heaven and on earth is now conferred to us. You might say, well, how did, how did you get all that, Doug? All the power in heaven and earth. <laughs> Didn't Jesus say that? When he res resurrected, he says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He didn't just say all power in heaven. He said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, before the church age, guess what he told them to do? Go and make disciples, right? After the church age, it was a different thing, right? The Spirit came, and he told them to wait until they received the gift of the Spirit. Remember, they were like, well, splintered, and they were in the upper room. Christ came to them, and, and then at, just before he ascended, they were asking them questions, and when shall these things be and all that? And he was like, just wait here until the Spirit comes. Then you'll know. 
So this transfer of power, and I said it, what does it do? It identifies us with the person of Christ. The reason why Christ is a son is because he has, a, he has adopted this role where he rules all things. So the transfer of power from the father to the son, remember the son, the Roman style adoption, and Christ said as much in many places in the New Testament, right? Where he says, everything that belongs to the Father is mine. All things that belong, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I'm making it known to you. Because guess what? You are, ident you are going to be identified with me. So all things that belong to the Father are also yours. So imagine if we were uh, baptized and, and identify with the person of Christ, just think about who we are identified with. Not just identify with some earthly ruler, some uh, person who has all power on earth. We're identified with the creator of all things, the Son. So when, when the Son created all things, you realize that's part of the eternal purpose of the Father that he would have that role. So we see all of this happening before time began. So that's why when we think about what time is, our roles of sonship extend beyond human history. They go before human history began, and they extend beyond human history after it's over into the eternal state. So who we are as sons is tied to the original son. And that's the role that he has. All that belongs to the father has been given to me, has been transferred to me. All, that is the biggest transfer of power ever. And of course, all this is by metaphor, just to let us know how the, to understand what God has done for us using words that we should understand, like adoption and so forth, to sonship. Listen, we, we are just average people. We're Gentiles. And we, because of the ministries of the Spirit, have been made a part of the, the largest transfer of power ever. And just like that person could have been... Uh, an ordinary person, but he, generally speaking, in Rome, he wasn't an ordinary person. He was somebody who was up and coming, somebody who was probably vying to be in that role, you know, to succeed. It could have been a child, a natural child. It could have been some other person who was, uh, you know, a head of a military organization, whatever. But he was recognized. But we have no titles or uh, any particular standing in the world and he has taken from us and has united us to his son when he did that that's the largest thing that could have ever been done as far as transfer of power that's what adoption meant it didn't mean that god felt sorry for us and said uh you know i know you don't have earthly parents or something. So I'm going to bring you into the family of God. I'll be your father. And, and I'll love you. 
we, we think about these earthly analogies, right, of a child needing parents, you know. And, and that is not it at all. When he talks about adoption, he is not talking about just, you know, being in some family somewhere. He's talking about uniting us to the creator of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word. And once we understand that, it says, and by him we cry, Abba, which is translated Father. It's not Abba, Father. It's just Abba. Jesus didn't, didn't say Abba, Father. He just said Abba. And Abba is the most basic, fundamental understanding of a child relating to his father. Abba. And, and it says we cry, which means it is an understanding of, uh, of when we understand the adoption, then we understand what that means when we say father. So I want you to stop and look at these verses because we need to take time to meditate upon them. Run those questions back and forth in your mind about what this means. Whether, what are the implications of, of this? What does this do for me? What, what do we mean by adoption to sonship? And, and what does that make us? And what, what, what do we gain in terms of our properties? Who are we, I should ask, if we're sons? And this is how I want us to just take a look at these verses. And, and, and we're not going to just read it and talk about Roman-style adoption. I've already explained to you what that meant. But now I, wanna, I want us to just allow this to marinate a little bit. Think about your identity as sons. What does that make you? What, what's going to happen that Paul is yearning for in verse 23? He can't wait to get to. What, what is that about? That now that we understand we're sons, and that's just a small part of the deposit, that we have that relationship, which comes in the next verse as well. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. It doesn't get any more personal than that. And what is he telling us? If, if you could communicate... what? Listen, if you never understood the influence of the Spirit at all, and you were just thinking, okay, what is the Spirit trying to make me do? Is, it, is what If the Spirit could talk to you, what would, what would be the one thing he would want to tell you? And it's right here in verse 16. We'll go over that next week. I know our time is done. We're going to talk about what does the Spirit tell us? The one thing that he wants to make known to us. Most important thing. I don't have to tell you what it is because you can read. And the implications are out of this world. So we think about aliens from other other places, you know, these are things that Hollywood has made up, you know. We don't these these other creatures who've come to earth and and they don't belong here, but they're here 
and we don't know it, and then we discover it, and all that whole story unfolds, and who they are, what kind of powers they have, you know, they're, they're, they have, they could fly, and or they could read minds, or, you know, there's, it just, they just make it exciting as they want to. But imagine, that's what you are. God is not a human being, just so you know. He's not human. He is divine. He has all the attributes. He is omnipotent. I mean, I could go on. But God is not a human being. So the attributes that you have, we need to talk about. That's something we need to discover. Just like they do in the movies, right? <laughs> Let's discover who we are in Christ. What does it mean that we're new creations? What are some of the properties? What can we do? And that's different from what we were as human beings. And believe me, it took us out of the understanding of that. When it says we don't belong down here, I could properly ask the question, well, where do we belong then? If we don't belong down here, where do we belong? What's home for us? I don't know anything else that, but what's here. You mean I have to understand something about me that is totally not tied to this world? It's all in the scriptures for us to discover. Uh, we should have some fun with it, I think. So we're going to have to quit. It's already 9.20. You gave me more 20 minutes beyond my time. I appreciate that. We're going to close, but before we do, we'll just ask, are there any burning questions on the table before we do? I'll pause. Okay. Burning questions aside, or Bill? Since you are there, why don't you close with a word of prayer for us? Thank you for uh, for joining. I saw you when you came in. All right. Okay, we can now have a word of prayer. We thank you once again, our Father, you've given us a great opportunity to learn more of your word. We pray that it becomes nourishment and food to our soul, and that we may grow thereby. And then we pray for all of word and truth, Christian church. We pray for um, the nation. We pray for all of those who are suffering with this virus that is going around. We pray that you bring healing, oh Lord. We bring understanding of your word. We thank you once again, O Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Bill. Amen.